a lot of people that, you know, that ski also hunt and fish or they mountain bike or they pick huckleberries, you know, they're spending a ton of time outside on public lands and it really does belong to all of us and it's all of our responsibility. And I'm actually a ski patroller from about the last 27 years at Alta, passionate about the outdoors and found that uh, the work that Citizens Climate Lobby was doing was something that I thought was really important for our future of the snow and um, future of water and everything else. Hey now, Mountain Crew. Welcome back to the Mountain Podcast, providing insider intel on how ski areas happen, created by and for ski area employees in the Northwest. If you travel back in time to our first episode, the intro to the Mountain Podcast, I talked about how this thing is formatted to follow your trail map. You got your Black Diamond episodes, you got your Green Circle episodes. Well, today, and maybe the next one too, we're going off-piste. It's a little game I'm calling Business Card Roulette. You're on the mountain. here might be a little ridiculous, but we're rolling with it. Off-piste today means I'm talking with people who are not necessarily ski area employees, but the work they do touches ski areas in some way. Over the last several years, I have attended a great many conferences, trade shows, conventions. Many are not even ski area functions. DC fly-ins, fundraising dinners, educational workshops at universities, economic forecasting meetings, and on and on. The association here touches a broad group of interests. In attending these types of events, I have amassed an insanely large stack of business cards. Business cards themselves, some would say, are a dead tool. Dead like a physical phone book, because, you know, the internet... So, a revival of sorts. I'm making use of them. I took that giant stack of business cards, pulled the email addresses off of each one, and sent a giant, blind-copied email to the lot. In that email, I very briefly explained the concept, and I put in an automated link to my Zoom room. I turn on the Zoom room, and I talk to whoever is there. I asked them how I got their business card, and we go from there. Pretty simple. And enough of these business card carrying characters showed up in my Zoom room that we might even have to put out a couple episodes of this little game so that we can keep each one at about a half hour long, probably just at least long enough for you to listen to on your way to work. Got it? I am effectively spinning the old Rolodex here, casting a wide net, and seeing who bites. Ready? Let's play Business Card Roulette. 
do we got here? Land Tawny. Jordan, nice to see you. Nice hat, dude. Hey, hey I'm showing up today, man. <laughs> What's going on? I'm just uh, here in Snow uh, Snowtown in Missoula, Montana. Oh, yeah. I'm hanging out down here in Bend, Oregon. Uh, I feel like in my little game of podcast or uh, business card roulette here, I landed a whale <laughs> in the first week. So this is awesome, man. Thanks for doing this. Tell the people who you are, where what you're doing. Yeah, so my name is Lan Tawney. I'm the president and CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We're based here in Missoula, Montana, but have staff all over North America, have chapters in 48 out of 50 states, three uh, Canadian chapters. And we basically work every single day to make sure you have access to public lands and waters and then the fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. We do that from a local level all the way out to, you know, at a federal level in Washington, D.C. Yeah, so our listeners can't see it, of course, but I'm wearing my BHA hat. I'm a BHA member. Where did I get your business card? Uh, was it at SHOT Show? Is that what you said? No. It was, I think, storytelling night in Bend at the Tower Theater, a weekend of beers, bands, and public lands. That was rad. And I think uh, David Wise, I think, uh, told a story that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, COVID just kind of shut my whole podcast down, which is really a side project of my job anyway. Um, but so th this is the pivot. I just flipped through the Rolodex and I'm, I'm really happy you uh, <laughs> wanted to jump in here. Well, I appreciate you reaching out, man. So we probably have um, overlay. I know we have overlay. No, it's not a probably. I'd like to be able to quantify it somehow. But yeah, public lands, just about every ski area uh in our region at least is is on forest service land um or other state entity or there's a, a little other couple mixed things there and then amongst those i know there are a lot of ski patrollers there are a lot of lift mechanics there are a lot of operation staff there are a lot of ski instructors um and i could go on there who hunt and fish and get outside and do other things than just hang out on the ski hill uh and i think that overlay is awesome between your organization and, and ours totally yeah no i uh uh, my kids actually go to uh, have a, a ski team every Saturday up at Snowball, which is like just a half hour from my house. And uh, that's on public land. They lease that. And uh, my wife and I ski every single Saturday without the kids, which uh, I love my kids, but being able to go up to Ski Mountain without them is pretty rad. So that's just like half hour away, man. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I think one of the greatest things I love about skiing is just like the fresh air that you get, you know, the... Um, you disappear from like the everyday life. Like you're in the moment, you know, when I'm hunting and fishing, I don't, I'm not thinking about anything else because I'm just really immersed in that moment. When I'm going 30 miles an hour on my skis, like there's nothing else I'm thinking about than like, how do I get down this mountain? Right. So I think there's so many similarities there. And, um, you know, and besides that, as you said, like a lot of people that, you know, that ski also hunt and fish or they mountain bike or they pick huckleberries, you know, they're spending a ton of time outside on public lands and, it really does belong to all of us and it's all of our responsibility to make sure that it's carried forward uh, so that we have the same things that we have right now, like even more of it going in the future. Yeah, absolutely. A great uh, outlet that you guys have for, for getting that message out is I put it down as in my top three podcasts, but then I was like, well, who would the other, I think it's my top two podcasts <laughs> is podcast and blast with Hal Herring. Yeah. It is incredible. The depth of knowledge uh, the curiosity, the, I mean, everything in there and the access that he has to these brains uh, in this space is incredible. 
a good overlap there, I think, with uh, Dr. Paul Hesburgh, uh, yeah. the fire, the fire, wildland fire uh, related episodes. I saw him present his band uh, TEDx talk. I was at that event. Oh, cool. Uh, it was really cool. And right after that, as soon as that got posted on YouTube, I'm sharing that with my family. I'm all over the place. Like, so to hear him on the podcast there is awesome. And I think that's another overlay with, um, I mean, wildland fires and ski areas is a big topic right now, not just in the Northwest, but especially up here. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. So it's really cool having that information just by turning on podcast and blast is is a cool deal. Yeah. Hal's a pretty uh, smart dude, as you describe, uh, you know, he lives in a small town in Montana. Um, and reads a ton. And then anytime he, you know, has somebody on, he does a ton of research, you know, before he has them on. So you can just hear that knowledge, like ooze out of him. I will say, I don't know how he remembers like quotes out of books, you know, like that he read like 15 years ago, that guy's brain is like, it operates in a much different way than mine does. Totally. Totally. When I go back to like, what, what book did he just talk about on that episode? Like I searched totally. through it. How could I find what's the index of this <laughs> of Hal's library, which we put, we should do, you know, we have uh, a Jim Pazowitz conservation library. We should have like a Hal Herring section that we talk about, like, and have all the books that he talks about all the time. In there. Oh yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Hey, so how this last year, how did COVID, how did this pandemic affect BHA operations? So uh, it affected us a lot, just like everybody else, right? And I think one of the, the, you know, the greatest assets that we have at BHA is our people. And then bringing those people together, I mean, the energy is just, I mean, it's, it's out of control. Um, and so we haven't been able to do that, you know, since March of last year. And that was really the last time I traveled. I was in Nebraska uh, last March for the North American Wildlife Conference, first week of March. And that's the last time I've traveled. Staff hasn't traveled at all. We've had some events, but really um, we did some, um, I think some uh, drive-in theater events and we've done some cleanups where we can be socially distanced. But so that, uh, that inability to bring people together was tough, I would say. Um, and that's tough on membership. That's tough on fundraising and then tough on building that energy that, you know, I, I, I feel like is one of the number one, you know, things that we have going on at BHA. We pivoted into like, you know, virtual uh, stuff. And while that's can never replace, you know, the face-to-face kind of energy and things that you can get done. We've done a pretty good job of bringing our community together. And we did a, like a virtual turkey calling contest last year. Uh, this guy from Montana won who dressed up like the Tiger King and uh, did nothing but mouth calls. But it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But it was good and it was engaging. You know, brought our people together. Uh, our rendezvous, which is our big party every year, we did that virtually and did it over five days and had like 1,700 people participating, you know, over five days, uh, which was crazy engagement. Um, it's, I would say that, you know, elected officials love Zoom. And so we figured that out. And so they, we do a lot of stuff with them. We started at Rendezvous, but I've been continuing that. So it's just, we've learned a lot, I would say, on how to bring people together virtually, make a little bit of money, but really just bring our community together. And so I think as we move forward, you know, into 2021 and some semblance of normal, whatever that is, that we've learned like this virtual piece. And so, you know, when we have rendezvous, hopefully this next year in Missoula, people that can't come, man, we're gonna have a virtual component. That's gonna be something, you know, that we have going forward all the time. So that's been rad. And another thing I would say is that people were cooped up and they had nothing to do. And so when the Great American Outdoors Act, which was probably the largest piece of uh, conservation legislation that I'll probably see in my lifetime, I mean, maybe we'll get some other bigger ones. But it fully funds Land and Water Conservation Fund at, you know, for at $900 million in perpetuity. Well, we had done a great job educating our folks, I would say, over the last five, six years around that kind of concept, Land and Water Conservation Fund. And so when we had legislation moving, man, they had nothing else to do. So they were picking up the phone. They were sending emails. I think we did 6,000 phone calls in a month 
uh, that last month um, and passed the Great American Outdoors Act. Ended up, I mean, passing with you know overwhelming margins. The president signed into law, and so amidst all this weirdness with COVID, amidst the uh, I would say the rancor between the Democrats and Republicans, like this was a place where everybody came together. Um, and so I would say a great thing that came out of COVID uh, was passage of the Great American Outdoors Act, and specifically full and dedicated funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund. I agree that it was really great to to watch that and and the overlay I'm talking about there between the ski areas too is that something we were working on also and supporting yeah. of and and have those letters going out as I said all the forest uh, the national forest ski areas that's a big deal to help out those forest service partners too and, and make sure they get funded so it was really cool to see you guys coming from that end ski industry coming from this end and other people and getting it done well I think and I think there's something to learn from that Jordan right like it's one it's finding common ground and then when we find that common ground, it's just like all in, right? You know, and I think that like ski areas to mountain bikers, to hunters, to anglers, like this was an all play that everybody kind of got something out of. And so to me, that's that's an example of what we can do and what we should be doing. So let's continue to find those places of synergy. I'm all about it, man. Let's figure out, let's get let's get uh, more of these ski areas who share that value with BHA to be aware of BHA. Let's, let's plug it in, man. I'm, I'm all over that. That's great. Hey, yeah, this is so. supposed to be a business card roulette kind of quick call. So I don't need to take all your time. I do yeah. want to maybe talk with you in in other ways or, or some of your crew uh, and see if there's some ways that we can increase the synergy between the both. Cause I think it's an awesome opportunity. Absolutely. I think, you know, we got, we started in Oregon, you know, around a campfire in 2004. And so we have a good base in Oregon. We're looking at, I might spoke at a PAL conference, um, you know, that they had down in Utah once about, and we were talking about climate change, which affects, you know, obviously ski areas, uh, but also hunting and fishing, like in a pretty direct way. So I think there's lots of opportunities to do that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to connect you with anybody on our team. Um, and, and I think that the outdoor industry as which I think encompasses hunting and fishing, but like right now, like we have the outdoor retailer show, right. Where everybody goes to that piece, hunters and anglers aren't really represented there. We've been going there. And so I think it's important that we have these conversations and that, you know, even if you don't hunt and fish, but you do, you know, other, you know, kinds of recreation out on our public lands, let's continue to have these conversations at all levels. And I think you and I can talk about how we do that directly, you know, through this platform, but I would encourage anybody that's listening to this that, you know, you know, talk to a hunter, ask him to feed you and uh, they will be ecstatic and they will share some of the best, I would say, organic meat that you've ever tasted. And that kind of uh, venison diplomacy will help have conversations and find ways that we do have that synergy. So more conversations, and I'm happy to help you with that. But I, I would I would challenge everybody that's listening to this to do that themselves individually as well. Absolutely. Okay, I got five quick questions, and then we're going to get out of here. What was the last band or musician that you listened to? Last band that I listened to might have been uh, Whiskey Myers when they played in Missoula. The yep. last state fair type event that you went to. Oh, oh. Uh, state fair was probably, uh, I mean, I, if we stick with state fair, like, so two years ago, taking the kids to the state fair, I have, I have a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, they were eight and 11 there. So they still love the state fair. So that was here in Missoula, Montana. Outside of your immediate family, who is someone that you believe loves you? <laughs> uh, outside of my immediate family. Well, I'll have to say, uh, Josh Mills. Um, who is uh, out of Spokane. He just came on staff with us, but we and him have a, a bromance that's been going on for a long time. So I would, with confidence, say it's Josh Mills out of Spokane, Washington. Yes. What was your first job? First job was at McDonald's in Seattle when I was going to school at Seattle University. 
that's my first like real job. I like I grew up like building fence and stuff at my parents' house for keeping the horses in. First job though was McDonald's. I think I lasted like a month out in Seattle. Last one. What's your one of your favorite places in the wilderness? Uh, man, I have so many and, uh, I get this question asked a lot and I get to travel a lot, you know, with my job and go see some really cool places. Uh, but time and time again, I come back to the Bob Marshall wilderness and the Bob Marshall from where I sit right now is about an hour away. And, uh, it's absolutely gigantic here in Western Montana. And I access that from the West side, the South side and the East side. And I really come in on from the North side, but man, that 1.1, I think million acres that it is, is just absolutely amazing. So that's my special place. Yeah. Yeah. That question was kind of up your alley. I'm asking it to all the roulette people, but <laughs> Hey, let's keep, uh, let's keep connected. I, I like where we could take this, but thank you for uh, playing the, the roulette game and have a good day. Jordan, it was a smart idea. Thanks for having me. And let's uh, talk about connecting you to other people as well. and I'm happy to join you as well again. All right. I like it. All right, thanks man. Bye. Yeah. Hello, welcome to the Mountain Podcast. Thank you, Jordan. Nice to be here. Tell the people who you are, where you come from. Well, I'm, I'm Bill Barron. I'm a regional coordinator for the Citizens Climate Lobby. We're an advocacy group focused on uh, federal legislation, bipartisan legislation to price carbon emissions and return revenue to households. And I'm actually a ski patroller from about the last 27 years at Alta. Yes. And, uh, passionate about the outdoors and found that uh, the work that Citizens Climate Lobby was doing was something that I thought was really important for our future of the snow and um, future of water and everything else. Well, absolutely. Good work. You're uh, pointing me a little bit towards maybe where I, I think I may have gotten your business card, but how did I get your business card? You know, I think it, I've been, uh, I was at the uh, winter trade show in Squaw last winter. I'm not sure if I you got it there or maybe uh, San Diego in April. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Then it was at a National Ski Areas Conference, one of those. Yeah, um, I was also thinking it might have been a DC fly-in that I did a couple of years ago on a trip talking about carbon pricing and uh, yeah. different ways to address it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so great, you're in Utah. You're uh, how's Alta going? You know, uh, Alta's been relatively dry for the season. Uh, we've had a few waves of good snow, but to be honest, this year I haven't worked because I have some back issues that I I need to fix. <laughs> so I'm I'm not skiing this year, unfortunately. I've been there with the back issues. I feel you. That's that's a way just to stop your ski season. But hey, during the pandemic ski season, maybe that's a blessing in disguise for you. I don't know. It could be for sure. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. I know talking to my friends and, you know, just the challenges of the pandemic have made it certainly difficult on the on the mountain for them. And I, I certainly appreciate all all that they're doing, even though I can't help out right now. Well, so my idea for this business card roulette game is to keep these pretty short, but yeah. it's awesome. The work that you do. So just tell me a little bit more about it and, and maybe draw that connection to me uh, in a little more detail between the Citizens Climate Lobby and ski areas. What is sure. that overlay? Yeah, great question. So um, I, like I said, I'm, I, I'm a regional coordinator for the Citizens Climate Lobby, and I cover Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada. But I have a specific focus 
on working on the outdoor industry and more specifically the ski industry due to my background working in the ski industry for so many years. And I was uh, CCL, you know, they're focused on a really um, a direct and transparent way to lower carbon emissions, which is something that I know we all are hoping for so that our winters stay as long as they possibly can. And, um, you know, we're working as an organization to reach out to all sorts of uh, industries, uh, business communities, uh, municipalities to build support, showing that there's a a need for action on climate and specifically that uh, what we advocate for a price on carbon emissions with all revenue returned to households. Is, is a very um, popular approach and that there's been a lot of growing support for it. For instance, with the uh, National Chamber of Commerce and a, a business roundtable at the you know, CEO level, as well as having 3,500 economists that support the carbon pricing. So why am I here today? Good question. The answer is that um, the ski industry really has a lot of bears of the cost of doing nothing more than any other industries do. But yet the the cost of the carbon price that we advocate for is shared economy-wide. So it's a real opportunity for the ski industry to speak up for something that's important um, for our business operations, but that it's something that collectively, uh, economy-wide, is where we will get the most impact. So having the ski industry weighing in and showing that there, there is support for carbon pricing only helps move that conversation even closer to federal legislation. And, um, you know, we advocate for an approach that's really designed to be bipartisan. So it's meant to support the left and the right. Uh, it's revenue neutral, wouldn't increase the size of the government. It's It's got a lot of value to it. And it is very effective as well, where the legislation shoots for a 90% reduction of US emissions from 2016 levels by and accomplishing it with a gradually increasing price. So I think it's, uh, to me, you know, living and working in the ski industry as long as I did, it's almost for me like it's personal that, you know, I really have had this great experience in the outdoors. And you know what it's like to be out on the mountain on a beautiful, stormy, weather-filled day. And, you know, this is this is an opportunity, I believe, for the ski industry to say, hey, you know, this is this is a viable solution and we ought to weigh in on it and, and help build that support that we need. Uh, knowing that there's a there's certainly a level of urgency that we see in the need to address this issue. Well, you just made me think. So you're not in my region, and I know Alta Alta's been really a, on the forefront of these discussions um, in climate for years. So it's it's a really cool kind of base camp that you have there, uh, opportunity and folks working at that ski area on this problem. But you just made me think of the two two ways that this touches my region. One in Oregon, probably familiar, when uh, any sort of carbon pricing whiff of that idea has got into the legislature, uh, a lot of those lawmakers just kind of left town <laughs> and walked out yeah. on the even dis- the discussion. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I just thought about is a similar but not the same thing, but uh, the tobacco tax in Washington state, when that got put in place, smoking rates went way, way down. It was just, it's kind of an interesting parallel to me that here's the bad thing that you can put in your lungs. And if we make you pay more for it, you're going to do less of the bad thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, that's the same as here's the bad thing that we put into the, 
the planet's lungs. Right. <laughs> and if it's more costly, we're going to do less of the bad thing. Exactly. And that's one of our message points is, you know, if you want less of something, you make it more expensive. So you, you price the pollution. You don't price a specific fuel. Uh, you know, you just account for how much emissions are created by that fuel. And the, the price on carbon emissions is tied directly to that. So for instance, if you compare, there is actually different, you may know this, there's different grades of coal for instance, that create different uh, levels of emissions. And then compare that to crude oil or uh, connect that to natural gas. And, and, and you'll see that it's, it's really tying uh, legislation to science where this, you burn this, this is what it's going to create. You price off of that and it motivates the economy to move towards energy sources that are more efficient from a carbon standpoint. And so it just brings in um, for all businesses uh, a, a better understanding of, you know, that the bottom line also includes what the emissions will be for the work that you're doing. Mm. I feel like we have just scratched the scratch and sniff sticker on the cover of the book of this discussion. And <laughs> I can't get into that discussion today, but it smells, it smells interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you, since I, you're, you're not in my region, I guess the uh, connection point here would be since your business card ended up in my stack is to point somebody from your organization who's in my region. Uh, in the direction, and maybe there's other things that we can start to do. Yeah, one one thing you could do is uh, just encourage you to take a look at the energyinnovationact.org website, and there you'll le you'll learn a lot more information about the legislation. There's an opportunity for uh, business leaders and ski industry folks to endorse the legislation, and that's a way to help build this political will. Because what we want to be doing is going to our members of Congress and showing that there are these ski areas and businesses that are supportive of carbon pricing because it then makes it provides political cover for them to move in the direction that we are we ultimately need. And we also know that we need to uh, for us to have effective and durable legislation it needs to be bipartisan. So really working on um, in, in the bipartisan space that, you know, working across the aisle and really trying to build the relationships with each member of Congress, whatever party they are on, to provide the information resources for them to advocate for a you know, clear and transparent approach to reduce carbon emissions. Great. Hey, I get up. I'm going to ask my five questions and then we got to get out of here. So I don't okay. <laughs> just drag it on. Yeah, yeah. What was the last band or musician that you listened to? Boy. I just listen to the radio. I'm not thinking of who I listened to last. Uh, it was, it was probably. Um, I can't think of it. Well, okay, that's not a problem. What radio station? KRCL. KRCL out of Salt Lake. Hey, what was the last uh, state fair type event that you went to? State fair event uh, that was boy pre-COVID, um, <laughs> of course, mm -hmm. and probably Earth Day. Yep. All right. All right. Outside of your immediate family, who is someone you think might love you? <sighs> I have some dear friends who I work with in this climate lobby space that uh, would fill that for sure. What was your first job? Uh, I was a gardener uh, as a 10-year-old. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
What is one of your favorite places out in the woods? Oh, I'd have to say uh, being up in Alta in a big storm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, great. Hey, that's what I had for you today. I really would uh, enjoy more conversations in depth about this type. So maybe that's something they can develop. Uh, But thanks for playing business card roulette. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. I'd love to talk to you more if you're interested. All right. Have a good day. Take care. Follow that chair on out. Come on out to that red line. How y'all doing today? Good, how about you? Oh, it's living the dream, you know. It's another beautiful day in paradise. Here comes that chair, guys. Enjoy. (sighs) My chairlift thought at the end of this run might be further confirmation that ski areas really do touch everything. In like the Kevin Bacon seven degrees of separation sense. You know, that like everybody you know, that theory, everybody that you know, probably knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that seven times in knows the actor Kevin Bacon. Maybe everybody that you know somehow touches a ski area. It's a loosely held belief, but it's getting steam. That's your chairlift thought. And I think we'll be back with another round of business card roulette because several people were smelling the bacon on this one. Well, if the download numbers are telling us anything, it's that people are digging this podcast and it is still continuing to grow. You can help with that by hitting subscribe so the next one pops up on your feed. Also, jump on there and leave us some reviews. That helps us out a lot. Big thanks to Lee Rosevere and Young Carts for their excellent podcast jams. We'll see you next time on The Mountain. Goggy Foggles! <laughs>